and he has spent time with them. And then there's this dramatic scene that unfolds where uh, Jesus is with uh, the disciples and he ascends into the heavens. And uh, the disciples are, I mean, you can imagine, are left there going, wow. And an angel appears and says, why do you, why do you look there for him? He has gone, but he will return in the same manner when the time is fulfilled for him to do so. Basically saying, now get busy. Go and do the work that he set you to do of sharing the gospel among the nations of the earth, and that's what they do. Uh, but he also, Jesus had told them to go and to wait. Because back in, uh, a couple of the gospel accounts agree with this. They record the same story. Jesus had told the disciples that he was going to send to them a helper, a comforter. And it would be the Holy Spirit who would come not only to be with them as he was. Jesus was called Emmanuel, God with us. But the Holy Spirit would be God in you. This helper would come, Jesus said, and he would dwell within you and be with you at all times. And that's kind of the arc of God's engagement with humanity. When we look at Jehovah, Father God in the Old Testament, as he's expressed this member of the Trinity, one God but three members, three personalities of the Trinity, we have God, Jehovah God, God for us. We have in Jesus God with us. And then we're gifted with the Holy Spirit of God in us. What a, wow, wow. I don't think we, and, and I, I, I say this broadly because we probably come from many different religious backgrounds in here uh, denominationally. You know, I grew up Southern Baptist. This church is affiliated with Alaska Baptists here. Um, we love to do mission work uh, through them and with them because there's a great network there that works together. Uh, and we also appreciate the fact that being a Baptist, uh, one of the Baptist distinctives is autonomy of the local church. There's no hierarchy that tells us what to do. We, we get to be who we are, who God made us to be as a church, and then cooperate with other like-minded churches. But I think my upbringing was pretty light on the Holy Spirit. The teaching was just, it, it was, uh, was kind of like the, the disregarded marginalized aspect of the Trinity, which is really awful. It's terrible because, friends, our theology says that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are equal. They have equal authority. They have equal personality. They have equal holiness and righteousness. They have distinct purposes, but they are one and the same. And so to to minimize any one of the other, and frankly, I think it's safe to say that to a large degree in evangelical upbringing, Christ is glorified, but both God the Father and God the Holy Spirit sort of kind of get second-tier treatment. And we have tried to be really intentional in not being that way, and sometimes it's difficult because our message is so much about the gospel. But the arc of God's story from beginning to end uh, as uh, we shared here not too long ago. Uh, in fact, I just, oh, school, I, I bring up school. I just wrote a research paper on the covenants of the Old Testament. There's five. 
and it goes from all the way from the first with Noah all the way through to the new covenant, which was the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And so it's, it, was even, it was revelatory to me as I studied through those to see that really this thread of God's purpose of salvation begins all the way at the beginning. And that wasn't communicated to me well growing up. It was all about Jesus, which is awesome, because we love Jesus. But God's work didn't begin with Jesus. He began his work at the beginning. And God's work in our lives, in humanity, in the world, didn't end with Jesus. Praise God. If it had, none of us would be enjoying the fruit of our salvation. And so God's work continues. And in the world today, in the church today, in believers today, his work continues in the person of the Holy Spirit. So let's go quickly to uh, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at the story of when the Holy Spirit comes in a way that is unique to the time. Now, here's something interesting as well that you should note. The reason we as Christians, well, one reason, there's lots of reasons, but one reason why we embrace the doctrine of the Trinity, these three persons, God in three persons, right? Blessed Trinity. We embrace that truth is because it's not as if the Holy Spirit suddenly appeared at Pentecost and had not been around before. In fact, there are, are large amounts of scripture, even in the Old Testament before Jesus, that describe the work of the Holy Spirit. But he was not indwelling the people at the time. God dwelled instead where? Anyone know? In the temple, right? With, with, with the Jewish people. That's, that is what he proscribed. He said... Build for me a temple, and my presence will dwell there in the Holy of Holies. And so while we can see, I can, I can show you places in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit is at work, he is not at work in the way that he would be after the day of Pentecost when the promise is fulfilled that Jesus gave, that he said, I will send to you a helper. Likewise, Jesus doesn't just appear at the beginning of the Gospels. He doesn't appear in the manger. In fact, we learn from the book of John, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus was there at the creation and in fact was the voice of creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through him, all things were made that were made, and without him, nothing was made that was made. And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? That's Jesus. So right there in the beginning, when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, if you look at that first verse of Genesis, all three of the Trinity are present in that verse because it says the Spirit of God hovered over the face of creation, right? And then we learn that, that Jesus is the creative force. So that, that's really the very first verse of the Bible sets the foundation for the belief in the triune God. And all three are present throughout all time and, and, and history for us, but throughout all of eternity for them because God is not constrained by time or space. Wow, man. I just, this makes my head kind of want to explode when I think about those things. But here in this story, as Jesus said that he would, he sends the Holy Spirit to begin a specific purpose that he has been ordained to do. 
and it is to dwell within the hearts of the believers. So here we are, chapter 2, Acts verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Let's just pause there. Here we get the first description of what is the biblical gift of tongues. And I, I don't want to be too controversial here, but uh, I'll just say this. There are pockets of our evangelical world where tongues are practiced in a way that really does not have any example in Scripture. The example that's given in Scripture is what's listed here, what's described here, is that these men, the Spirit fell, and they began to speak in known tongues that they did not know to such an extent that the people gathered outside of the building they were in heard the noise and started to say, hey, that's somebody from my country talking. Now, some of you have had international mission work. Uh, you've traveled to other countries. If, 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 you, if you do it from our perspective, like, I'm not multilingual at all. Um, when, uh, I'm trying to remember, Karen, what was it Donna told us to do with words when we went to Italy? If we just tacked on what, something to the end of words, we would generally get close to what it was and they would understand us. Um, I don't remember what it was. Yeah, um, but you know, uh, you know, I've been to Germany, I've been to Italy, I've been to, to uh, France, and when you're wandering around and you hear someone speaking English, you tune in all of a sudden like, hey, there's someone I can actually communicate with and not offend them, most likely. And uh, so you think about in the reverse of that, here are these people, right? They're in the, the great metropolis of Jerusalem. It's the crossroads of the Middle East. Uh, one of the things that was happening that was causing, uh, that would cause the church to expand so rapidly after this moment in that part of the world was that uh, trade routes were being established, shipping lanes, uh, roads being, had been built by the Romans that traversed the entire continent practically. And so people from all over the known world were, were coming to Jerusalem and, and passing through there, trading, working. Uh, uh, intermarrying different people from different cultures, discovering other people. And so you, you have that sort of that idea of, of the great melting pot happening in Jerusalem. And in that moment, these people standing outside having their own conversations in their own pocket of people suddenly begin to hear voices speaking their own language and they're telling the message of the good news of Jesus. Wow. I'm saying wow a lot today because this is a wow story. The Holy Spirit is something, my friends. And so we see that demonstration of the gift of speaking in tongues right off the bat. They began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. In verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? 
which would mean they would have been speaking Aramaic or Hebrew. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Woo! We're covering the whole world. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Been tipping the bottle a little. Peter says, standing with the eleven, he lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. I love that phrase right there. Peter. It's too early to be drunk, friends. Day drinking was not a thing. Scripture, of course, tells us to be sober-minded, not to be drunk with wine. But there was the possibility in the culture here, people thought, man, they must be loaded. Look at how crazy they're acting. And they mock them as drunkards. Peter says, no, no. But then Peter goes on, they're not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day. This is what was uttered through the prophet of of Joel. And this is where I want us to focus this morning for just a couple of minutes. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on what? All flesh. On your sons and your daughters. This is a big moment, my friends. This is a big moment. As we would learn in, in future letters to the churches written by the different apostles, Paul, and Peter, uh, we would find that in the economy of God, another ball that God intended to move was that no one would be excluded from the, the passion of the gospel. The Jews had it in their mind that it was going to be reserved just for the Jews. And even within the subset of the Jewish people, there was a mindset that said that, that the, the Messiah was really only meant for the men. For the learned men, the educated men, the religious men. In fact, Jesus, when he encountered those people in his life, he looked at those religious leaders and said, you guys should be kicking the doors to the kingdom of God wide open and welcoming people in, and instead you stand like guards at the front and keep them away with your rules and your judgment. He says, you're nothing better than a tomb that's had a fresh coat of paint, but you still stink on the inside. And so here's another point where God begins to to move the, the needle, expand the vision of humanity and say, not only will the Messiah be for everyone, but he will be for men, for women, for children. The gospel is for all. And God says that he will begin to pour out his spirit 
on all flesh who will believe in him. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That means preach the word. Proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. They will talk about me. My spirit will be upon them and around them and in them, and they will tell the world what they know about me. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Now here Jesus gives a call back to a long conversation that he had with his disciples. When they had asked the question, he had been instructing them, teaching them that there would be a day when he would return as a Messiah. They still didn't grasp it. They still didn't understand all the way up until the day of the resurrection, frankly, because even on the day of crucifixion, there was only one who believed still. Amen? John. John was Jesus' closest friend, and he understood. It's possible that John had conversations. I'm sure he did, that the others were not privy to, and maybe, maybe Jesus revealed more to him than he did to the others. But at the end of the day, when Jesus was crucified, everyone else ran, and John stood there by the cross and stayed with him to the very end. Jesus had tried to tell them that he was going to be torn down. He said that this temple will be torn down and rebuilt again in three days. But they didn't understand the metaphor. He told them the time would come when he would be away from them, but he would go and prepare a place for them but when he returned, he would gather the, us all together to be with him forever and eternity. But there would be signs and wonders that would happen along the way. And the closer it got to the time of Jesus' return, the more dramatic these signs and wonders would become, including the sky turning dark, the sun turning, uh, the moon turning to blood, uh, the, the fire and vapor and smoke. Have those been fulfilled yet? I don't think so. Are they metaphors? They might be. And if they're metaphors, then maybe they are being fulfilled right now. Because righteousness and goodness and light is being dimmed in our world. The world is awash in the smoke of war and hate and division. I don't know. The disciples couldn't decipher that completely, and I can't either. But Jesus is reminding them, or Peter is reminding them here about what Jesus said. Remember when he told us this. The day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That one sentence is the good news. Let those words sink into your being this morning. Think about your friends, your neighbors, family, those that you know don't possess the light that you possess. Those who have not come to a point could be here today. Maybe it's you. I don't know. Have never come to the point 
of coming face to face with, with trying to, to determine who is Jesus? What does he matter to me? I'm living my life today. My friend is living their life today. And they're not experiencing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit because they've never really encountered Jesus in the first place. God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh so that my sons and daughters, friends, you, believers, are the sons and daughters of God. On you, he will pour out his spirit and you, you will proclaim and prophesy about the person of Jesus and all who call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. We talked last week about the woman at the well and how she had this encounter with Jesus. And then her response was to go back into a town that marginalized her wasn't friendly and carry the good news of Jesus to them and their hearts were transformed and it says that the entire village came out to meet this man that she spoke of I, I, I wish, I desire for me and maybe for you you got to pick it up if it's for you I want to be someone who recognizes, who, who believes, who, who claims the promise. The Holy Spirit is with me. God himself is with me. The Bible says, do you not know that your body is the temple of God? Man, does that fill me with regret sometimes. When I don't honor him in his temple. But the flip side of that is, why? Why do I not move forward in power and authority and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? Because he is in me. Would that we would be people, sons and daughters of God, who move through the the pathways of our lives among the people that are around us, the lives that we encounter, the people in need, and live and breathe and speak the good news of Jesus Christ. That this promise would be fulfilled, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. That's my desire for myself. That's my desire for Christ Community Church, our friends that have come to join us for this summer. You'll have opportunities to share the good news. Remember, remember the great power of God within you because he is not just with you. He is in you. Amen? Amen. I told you later this summer, I think it's in July, we're going to have a series on sharing your faith personal evangelism. Looking forward to that. And uh, hopefully that will give you some more tools. But uh, in this next newsletter, I'll send out some other resources that maybe will be helpful to, to you. Because I know that for many people, 
sharing the gospel is intimidating. I think, Jim, and you and I just talked about this week at, at breakfast, and we talked about this. Um, but, friends, the easiest place to begin, the testimony that no one can argue with, is what has Jesus done for you? That's your eyewitness testimony. If you're like me, you can point to to times in your life where there's just no question that the, the supernatural work and move of God is what changed the course of your life. And you can testify to that. That's the easiest place to start is tell others what he did for you because this is literally what the woman at the well did. She went back into town and she said, you got to meet this guy. He told me everything about me and I think he's the Messiah. Would you pray with me? Worship team, come join me. Let's sing us out this morning. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be in the house of the Lord with you today. Lord, the house of the Lord being where your saints, your believers, your, your children are gathered. Lord, I pray this morning that these words are encouragement, that they're challenge. Lord, maybe they're revelation for some. Lord, I pray that uh, in, a, in a way that we don't yet understand... And Lord, maybe even in a way that uh, we are unsure how to contain, that the truth of your spirit with us and the power that we have because you are within us, Lord, that it will become a blazing fire of passion to share the good news of Jesus. There are so many around us struggling in darkness, pain, confusion, and misery, Lord, or even just apathy. You came to save everyone. So, Lord, let us be sons and daughters who proclaim the good news of Jesus. In Jesus' name.